This morning we begin in the little book of 3rd John. It is the shortest book, not only in the New Testament, but the entire Bible. In the original language in which it was written, Greek, containing only 219 Greek words. Unlike 1st John, which was a circular letter sent to not only one church, but many churches, and 2nd John addressed to a local church, probably one of those that also received 1st John, this little letter is addressed to just one man, a guy named Gaius. Very popular name, as we'll see in a little bit. And the Apostle John writes to Gaius to encourage him to keep up the good work that he's doing by supporting ministers of the gospel with with fellowship and with hospitality. And then he's going to draw attention to a man named Diotrephes, whose behavior is unacceptable. We don't hear the name Diotrephes much anymore. It's a good thing because he's not a good guy. And then finally he concludes this little letter by commending a man named Demetrius, most likely the man who actually delivered this letter by hand to Gaius. And this morning, as we will look just at the first four verses, the introduction to the letter, there are a couple of biblical principles that are transferable to us today. Principles about prayer and and a principle about what's really important in our lives. The externals of our lives or the internals of our lives. You see... John is going to tell this good friend of his, Gaius, that he's praying for him. He's praying for him about everyday stuff. And we need to hear that because it's an encouragement to us that we can pray for ourselves and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ about everyday stuff. But even more so, John is going to tell Gaius that what really brings him joy is not the externals of Gaius's life, but rather the internals. The reality of the fact that Gaius is well of soul. I'm going to read the first four verses. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, beginning in 3 John, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when some brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children Walking in truth. John tells Gaius, I'm praying for you. We have a bond in Christ, and as I think of my deep devotion to you, my care, my concern, my love, 
I pray for you that things will be going well. And I pray for you that you will be in good health. Just as you are in good health on the inside. This summer, my wife Barbara and I spent some time in the deep south of the United States. We started out in Charleston, South Carolina, spent a few days there, and then we went up to Tennessee and spent time in Knoxville and Nashville and and went down to Chattanooga. And while we were visiting Nashville, we went to the home of President Andrew Jackson called The Hermitage. It was one of the highlights of my trip. I was fascinated by what I saw there. Andrew Jackson was a slaveholder. And that was one of the things that confronted us in many of the places we visited was the reality of slavery and what that meant in that part of the country. Jackson was considered to be, if one can be considered this, a good slaveholder. He was known for treating his slaves well. For example, he would never split up a family unit by selling a husband or wife or a child to someone else. If one of his slaves uh, wanted to marry a slave owned by someone else, he would make arrangements to purchase that slave so that they could be brought together. When we went into the two of the slave cabins that had been restored, you can see where they were allowed to have a little cellar in the floorboards of that slave cabin so they could keep some food uh, for themselves uh, and, and preserved. In fact, Jackson even issued his slaves guns so that they could go out and hunt for their own meat. And while he was considered a good slave owner... As I stuck my head into those cabins, divided by two, most likely about ten slaves living in each half, it was sobering. And I thought to myself, how could a slave ever have a good day? How could they ever have a good day belonging to someone else? As we were shown the opulence of some of those southern homes, including Jackson's, the the vast beauty of these mansions and the wealth of these slave owners. The question arises, were they better off? You see, There were many slaves in the United States who at some point in their time came to a point where they trusted Jesus Christ. And while the externals of their lives, from our perspective, were gross, for some of them there was an inner reality, a wellness of soul. And the question arises, who was better off? Many of the slaveholders who externally were well. But 
did not enjoy wellness of the soul, or those who were externally not well off, but some of whom had wellness of the soul. And as we're going to see today, as John writes to this man Gaius, of utmost importance to John is to encourage Gaius that it brings him so much joy to see that Gaius is well of soul, of the inner person, not externals. And he's going to define that for us. What does it mean to be well on the inside? Well of soul. And so as, as he opens this letter in verse 1, in the first half of verse 2, we see a principle that's applicable to us today, that it's a good thing to pray about externals. It's okay. Sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, I won't bother God about that. That's too trivial. That's too small. I should only bring him, quote unquote, the big stuff. And yet here we find the Apostle John writing to this beloved friend of his, saying to him, I'm praying for you. Notice again verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Just as John prays, we should pray for everyday needs for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here John identifies himself, the Apostle John, as again the elder, just like he did in the beginning of Second John. And it says that he's addressing this little letter to the beloved Gaius. And this little word beloved is a theme that goes all the way through the book. We see it in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11. This man, Gaius, is special to John. He feels a kinship with him. He's devoted to him. He cares about him. Now, we don't know who he is. The, the name Gaius was a very popular name in the Roman world at this time. And we see it occur in the New Testament. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 29, Paul's travel companion is named Gaius. Most likely the same man is referred to again in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, when he says, I'm traveling with Gaius of Derby." When we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says he baptized a man named Gaius. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, Paul says as he writes from Corinth, he's staying in the house of a guy named Gaius. So most likely there's at least two, possibly three, other biblical characters named Gaius. And most likely this is not one of those two or three. This is a man in John's web of relationship with the name Gaius. And John writes to him, telling him that he is close to him. He holds him in high esteem. He's important to him. He's his beloved friend whom I love in truth. 
Now we've seen that little phrase before in our study through 2 John. When John is talking about truth in these little epistles, he's talking a little bit more narrow than just the fact that God is the source of all truth. He's talking about the truth epitomized, found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the truth of the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished for us. Specifically, we could sum up what John's referring to here as the gospel. That that good news for all of us who really are the recipients of bad news. The bad news is that none of us are properly related to God because of sin. God is our creator. We know that from the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. He created us to be in relationship with him, but instead of enjoying that relationship with him, mankind sinned against him. In fact, the book of Romans, in the third chapter, the apostle Paul says that each and every one of us have sinned against him. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, he says, in some form we all participated in the sin of Adam. We're all born sinners, separated from God. We not only are born sinners, we act that out. We do things, we think things that are contrary to the very character of God and his revealed will. And because of that sin, all that we deserve is punishment. You see, God is a righteous God. He is the right standard. There's no sin in him at all. And as our creator, he has the right to demand of us right living. But we turn the other way. We reject him. We do what we want to do, not what he calls us to do. And the Bible calls that sin. And because of our sin, all that we deserve is punishment. We deserve death. Not only physical death, the separation of our inner person from our body, but spiritual death, separation of ourselves from God. And that's our state. It's as if we're on one side and God is on the other and we can't build a bridge between the two. We can't fix it. As much as we'd like to do enough good things to kind of put on a scale to outweigh our sin, we can't do it. God's not only a right God, he's also a God of love and saw our predicament, our hopeless state. And because he's a God of love, provided a pathway to him. It's a very singular pathway through his son. What God did is sent the second person of the Trinity, the son, to earth to take on humanity so that he would be able to take on our penalty for our sin upon himself. And so he was born of a virgin and is 100% God, 100% man, lived a sinless life on this earth and then died taking the penalty of death for you and the penalty of death for me upon himself and then rose again from the dead proving his claim to be God. And the good news, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, is that payment for sin can be credited to each of our lives. Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. 
putting our faith, our trust, our dependence in the fact that Jesus is God, that he died in our place and then rose again. And so what John says here in 3 John verse 1, it says, we have a bond in truth. That bond is the fact that both of us, both the Apostle John and this man Gaius, have both put their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. They both came to a point in their lives where they recognized, I can't fix this. I only have one recourse to be right with God. That's by transferring the dependence of my life from myself thinking that I can be a good enough person to earn merit with God, and putting my soul dependence on the person of Jesus Christ, believing that He is God, that He died for me and rose again. And when I put my belief in Him, put my trust in Him, transfer the dependence of my life upon Him, at that point, His payment for sin is credited to my life and your life. And we become rightly related with God. If you have not done that, if this sounds foreign to you, if you've never put your trust in the person of Jesus immediately following the service today, I would encourage you, there's a room right behind you with the words prayer room above it. Go in there. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church will be back there and can give you some information, a little pamphlet, a little book, that you can take out your own Bible and look up passages of Scripture, some that I've just talked about, where you can know for sure, you can see it in the Bible, how you can be right with God. Here, John says, Gaius, me, we are in a relationship, there's a kinship amongst us two men in truth. Our kinship is based on our common belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our kinship is bound up in the gospel. And in that relationship, in that bond of love, Gaius, I pray for you. I pray for you that you may prosper. That word translated prosper there carries the idea of that things will turn out well for you. I just pray for you that things will be going good for you and that you will be in good health. Everyday stuff. I'm praying that things will be going well for you in your life and that you will be in good health just as your soul prospers. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. minute. But what John is saying is everything is well for you on the inside I'm praying for you that things will go well for you on the outside. That things will go well for you externally. In March of 2012, one uh, of our women here at Faith Bible Church went to be with Jesus, Norma Gerke. And I think about Norma a lot Even though she is with Jesus, she comes to my mind periodically. And I think about the things that Norma taught me. If you were at Faith Bible Church at that time, you will remember Norma. Because as we often have an open prayer session here at Faith Bible, Norma would always 
keep us from being in the skunk hole for prayer requests. Norma was always there with a request. And oftentimes they were very simple things, just everyday life stuff. But here's what I learned from Norma. Nothing is too small to take to the Lord. Nothing is too small to ask for prayer for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And here is the ultimate lesson. It's what we sang this morning. Lord, I need you. And when we take our everyday life stuff to God, we are telling him, I recognize I'm totally dependent on you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I need you every moment of the day, every hour of the day, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. Lord, I need you. And here, John is saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that things will go well. I'm praying that you will be in good health on the outside just as you are on the inside. Sometimes it's hard for us to say, man, I don't know how to pray for people. One of the best things that we can do in praying for people is to pray biblical prayers. This is a good one, that we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you may prosper, that things will turn out well for you, and that you will be in good health. I want to take a moment, keep your finger in Third John, and just turn back to the words of Jesus in, Ma- in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting to read about verse 31, we read, Do not worry then what we'll eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then over in chapter 7, starting the read of verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In those words of Jesus, Jesus is saying he cares about the everyday. Our Heavenly Father knows what our needs before we even ask him. And I think ultimately in those verses he's saying it's okay for us to ask our Heavenly Father for everyday things. But Jesus says there's even one thing that's preeminent above our everyday needs. It's not wellness of health. Wellness of external circumstances, it's wellness in the inner person. It's wellness of soul. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You see, it's more important to be right with God than it is to have the externals in our life going well. And so John tells Gaius, I'm praying for you. 
I pray that things will be going well for you. I pray for good health. Just like when we go to the book of James, it says, if any of you are weak, some translations say sick, call for the elders and ask them to come and pray for you and anoint you with oil. And then James says, and you'll be restored doesn't necessarily, I don't think those verses are teaching that every time the elders pray for someone, they will experience physical healing. But it says we will be lifted up, we will be restored, we'll be delivered from those burdens, from that weakness. And sometimes God does provide physical healing. And we practice those verses here at Faith Bible Church. Our elders will go and anoint with oil. You see, it's a good thing to pray for each other about everyday stuff. But ultimately, there's something even more important than physical well-being. It's spiritual well-being. And so John goes on in these verses, in the second half of verse 2 down through verse 4, and he talks about being well of soul. He talks about the fact that to be well of soul is more of a source of joy than to be well in health. It's better to be well on the inside than it is to be well on the outside. And so at the end of verse 2, he said, I've prayed for you that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Oftentimes when, when John uses the word soul, He's talking about the whole person. But in this verse, in one other occurrence, he's talking about the inner part of us versus the outer part of us, the inner man, the soul, the inner person. And he says, Gaius, I'm so encouraged. You bring me so much joy because I see you doing well in the inner person. You are right with God and you're walking with Him. It brings me so much joy. I pray for the externals, but what really makes me happy is to see you well on the inside. Now, he says, I pray for you in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And then he explains what he means by that. What does it mean to be well in soul? to be prospering in soul. Well, he explains it in verses 3 and 4. Notice verse 3 begins with a little connecting word, the word for. He's saying, I'm going to explain this. I'm saying that you are well in soul because I was very glad when news came to me from some brothers in Christ saying that they testified to your truth That is how you are walking in truth. They're saying Gaius gets the gospel. Gaius understands the good news and the bad news, and Gaius has put his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. He, But he not only understands it and has put his trust in Christ, he's living it out. The gospel is transforming him from the inside out. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that the fact that, When God starts a work in my life and your life, he finishes it. John sees that happening in Gaius. Since he's put his trust in Christ, he thinks differently. His values are different. He lives out his life differently. 
His actions, his thoughts are being transformed. You see, the work that God does from the moment of salvation in the individual's life is begins to make that person more like Jesus Christ. He is in the business of replicating the life of Christ through you. We don't get there overnight, but one day we will be like him. And John says, I'm so excited to hear these reports that the gospel's transforming you, is changing you. In fact, in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in truth, living out the gospel. No greater joy. When he talks about his children, he may be referring to those he's led to faith in Christ, but probably here is just saying all those believers who are underneath his influence as if he is a pastor to them. I get no greater joy than seeing the gospel lived out through your life. My wife has some cousins who sell a product called Plexus. If you don't know what that is, I'd be happy to give you a name to them, and they would be happy to fill you in on all the benefits of Plexus. It, to the best of my knowledge, it's some kind of supplement that's supposed to help you lose weight and live with much more power. It's also really expensive. My mother-in-law decided she should try it a little bit, uh, but my mother and father-in-law are also frugal, and the trial was very brief. Can you imagine what it would be like in America if people spent as much time and money and effort as they spend in physical well-being on spiritual well-being? In other words, if we spent as much effort that we do on making things well on the outside, if we would spend that concerted effort on ensuring that we are well on the inside. And John says, I don't have any, there's nothing greater than to be well of soul, to be right with God and have the gospel transforming us. And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. First of all, to ask the question, am I even right with God? Have I ever taken that step of putting my trust in the person of Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, I would encourage you to make that step today. It's as simple as talking to God in your heart and saying to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. I believe that Jesus is God, that he died in my place and rose again from the dead. And right now I'm putting my trust in him. It's that simple. Many of us here this morning have made that most important decision. And it's important for us to ask the question, is the transforming work of God active in my life or am I stunting it? You know how we stunt God's ability to be at work in us? We do it by saying no to him. There's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about verse 2 that talks about What happens when we say no to God? You know those times when we are reading a passage of Scripture 
and we become convicted of heart or we hear a passage of scripture or the spirit of God convicts us that this isn't right in my life. And then I say no. I say something like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not hurting anybody. It, uh, everybody does the same thing. And when we start saying no to God, 1 Timothy 4.2 says we start to sear our conscience. We actually damage our ability to hear from God. So that sin doesn't become sin anymore. And we stop listening. Here we find a man, Gaius, who has put his trust in Christ. And he's walking with Christ. He's allowing Christ to transform him from the inside out. He is saying yes to God. He's confessing his sin. He's keeping short accounts. He's staying in the word of God. He's walking with brothers and sisters in Christ. And John says, nothing makes me more happy. You know, it's a good thing to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ about everyday needs. It's a great thing when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ well of soul, well on the inside. We need to be praying for the temporal. But our greatest source of joy is not the external, it's the internal to be right with God and walking with Him. Father, I thank You for these opening verses of 3 John and pray that You will remind us as we go through this week of the value of things going well and being of good health, but the surpassing joy of being right with You. Help us to respond to your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk closely this week with you. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be quick to confess our sin. And to allow you to change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.